we kind of live under this illusion that we're generally good people, but what I think Milgram demonstrated is that all of us are just a hair's breadth from participating in a genocide. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast, where three failed pastors, although today it's just two failed pastors, uh, Kent and Nathan, are here today in uh, trying to recover from bad ideas about God and recover the true faith. We're in a series called Recovering Faith. This is episode five. We've been talking about, um, well, we're talking about what we're saved from. Yes. Saved from the corruption of society. Yeah. We're saved from the elementary principles of the world. We're exploring what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, we're focusing today some more, going in more in depth on the concept of law and rules. Yeah. And how they function uh, to enforce the elementary principles of authority and conformity. Right. Yeah. And our first point today is that laws are supposed to mitigate corruption, but they frequently serve corruption. Yeah, buddy. That's point one anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about how we don't want to be, you know, in the purge or whatever mm-hmm. these uh, it's kind of dystopian uh, genres of, of shows where people are like, everyone's just turned loose and it's chaos in the streets. Yeah, and, no uh, law. Right. right. And and how laws are there to, to kind of slow that down, to keep chaos and from happening and the strong from preying on the weak and... You know, the the entitled from preying on the marginalized and all that. The laws are supposed to do that. We have a sense of, of defining right and wrong in our society so that our authorities are somehow in check. They're not, they don't get to become the bullies, um, but they have to be accountable to something. So that's what law is for, but law also empowers those authorities so that somebody can come up, you know, an individual who's duly authorized uh, by the society can come up and just tell you to do a thing, compel a thing from you. So laws of eminent domain, uh, you know, the, the city can just come and take a piece of your yard uh, if, it, if it benefits everybody. So that's kind of an authority thing, but it's also something that's prescribed into law so that it has to fit certain criteria. Law controls authority, but authority and conformity are the basis so even in societies where there's no law there's still interpersonal control and the contention is that without without the total freedom as an individual and that's kind of where we're going um, then we are really not able to become who we're supposed to be we're not really able to become good moral people that there's always some sense in which we're being defined either by the predilections of our culture or by the requirements of our um, governmental systems and other things. And so we need to be saved from those. And part of the reason is not just so that we can be free or we can find ourselves, but so that we can um, be free of, of the evil, the wickedness that tends to infect the very systems that are meant to keep society on the rails. So, um, the elementary principles are there to keep society on the rails, but what if you get some sort of a maniacal dictator who's able to get control of the elementary principles? He learns how to manipulate them and traffic in them. Then he is able to uh, create some wicked state that carries out, you know, mass executions, genocides, other things, um, and and so that's the that's what's alarming um, and. And so 
that's kind of what I I talk about how law, at least uh, we're going to talk about how law can become a servant to sin, to evil, greed, oppression. And uh, so one example of that is this uh, lawsuit with Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson lawsuit. Yeah. I don't know how much you know about that. But. No, I didn't know that. I didn't. Well, I heard about the suit, yeah. uh, but I didn't hear about the shell company. Yeah, yeah. So in the state of Texas, there's this law that says that, uh, you know, you can create a shell company or you can create another company and you can offload liability onto it. Um, and then that company obviously was underfunded. It didn't have the resources to to meet the requirements of the of the lawsuit. And then it declared bankruptcy. And now, you know, this four hundred million dollar or whatever it was award is just dead in the water. So uh, and that's all legal. Mm-hmm. Johnson and Johnson is is absolved of responsibility, and the people who suffered uh, find no satisfaction, and uh, and so. So you're saying the law there is facilitating human corruption? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So is this that one of your next your next point that you make here is that the elementary principles don't just endorse personal corruption; they also breed it. Now that's yeah. personal corruption versus. Well, I think corruption is always personal in the sense that sin is an individual choice. But as an individual sins, then they spread that to others. Uh, and especially at, if they have a lot of influence, mm-hmm. you know. So if somebody is, a say, a social media influencer, their own particular sins, if it's vanity or, you know, whatever, can affect other people, spread to them. Um, and so that's an that's a, maybe an instance of conformity, right? So let's say there's some diva singer, whatever that young girls aspire to be like, and she's on there being very sexualized and scantily clad or whatever on on Instagram, and she's saying, you know, this is empowerment, and then the uh, girls that are her followers say they want to be empowered too, and then you know, so they do the similar things and uh, and I'm not here to comment on whether you know how much clothing a woman should wear but I am saying you know we sh- people should make their decisions based on just their authentic self-expression and not on conforming to what somebody else right. uh, demonstrates or typifies um, so that would be an example of, of an elementary principle spreading sin from one person and now amplifying it multiplying it outward to others and so same with laws um you know as as authorities become um whatever we legalize becomes kind of endorsed by the society so i you know the the whole um those of us who are older uh, remember when you're going down the road and you just finished uh, some mcdonald's and you throw it out on the um, out the window of the car <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or or at least a candy bar, you know, and you're just like, ship, and it's gone, it disappears, you know, and you're like, wow, that was magic, you know, this this trash just disappears, and, uh, you know, and there's all this garbage up and down the highway, and, uh, you know, the, the Indian guy is crying, and, you know, we all stopped, and uh, you remember that, you remember that ad the campaign? The ad campaign yeah. with the Indian guy crying? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can sad. imagine that, yeah. Yeah, uh, but the laws also, 
you know, when the law says, hey, we're going to fine you, you know, a gazillion dollars for doing this. We're like, you know, also, I think it's wrong. <laughs> you know, we, uh, but now it's a, it's a part of our ethos. I mean, if you're riding in a car with somebody and they're just like, Zip, you know, and they just let the trash go. You think this is a dirty person. This is somebody who doesn't care about the environment. You're not wrong about that. Um, but uh, but laws begin to affect our sense of right and wrong. Kids used to bounce around in the back of the station wagon going down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you got you you got the three-year-old, you're on a long trip, and he's going to get bored, and you just, you know, you put him back there with a coloring book, and he's crawling and, you know, everything, and nobody thinks about it. Then laws about child seats and stuff. You see somebody going down the road without their kid in a child seat. Not only are you feeling like, man, that person's quickly going to be pulled over, but you think this is a horrible human being. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so laws kind of tend to, to shape our ethos, uh, maybe in, in good ways, but also in bad ways. So, mm-hmm. if, you know, if the law officially says, hey, you know, this group of people is hurtful or whatever, we can begin to think, hey, maybe they are a problem. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there are people in Russia who support the war mm-hmm. because the official authority says, hey, this is... This is justified, and I, I can't find a reason why it's justified. Mm-hmm. But Putin says it is, so it must be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these elementary principles of the world can become uh, problematic, and, and not just, you know, one person. Say you decide that your neighbor is a Nazi, <laughs> and, and, and you decide that it would be best if you— um, burned his house down mm-hmm. uh, best for the neighborhood right mm-hmm. and, and so you do that and that's bad um, and and you'll face repercussions for that um, but burning one house down is not nearly as bad as what's going on in Ukraine so Putin decides Ukraine's a bunch of Nazis right or whatever he's decided and um, now tens of thousands of people die and millions are displaced and so there's this um, real danger when it comes to these elementary principles of the world. It, it's why we need to be saved from them because that potential is always there for us to become participants in a massive evil or even just an insidious evil as we just quietly acquiesce mm-hmm. to what's going on. You, st- you cite Stanley Milgram's work here in your article uh, along those lines. I think it might be this next point. The elementary principles of the world become agents of human corruption. So we must be free from their influence to be saved from the corrupt society. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I talk a lot about Paul and his previous life in, in Judaism, um, because I, I just think that's, it's a powerful, um, commentary as, as, and, and it's something that we read past, but the theme really of what Paul is saying is, I was under the best the influence of the best people and I became an enemy of God and a murderer and an oppressor while being in the group of the good people and under the best influences and having the best teachers and leaders and mentors. I became a, a moral monster. Um, and so he, you know, he, it's a cautionary tale as he's telling these Galatians who weren't these sterling people before Paul got there, <laughs> you know, uh, they were pagans and probably looked down upon and stuff morally. And yet Paul is saying, look, I was a Jew. I'm, I was what you aspire to be. I mean, the, these people were being invited to join 
the synagogue and to have uh, full standing there if they would just go through an elective surgery. Um, and they were tempted by it, and they thought, man, if we could just be a part of the good people, you know, we could have some, not stars upon ours, but, you know, the equivalent of stars upon ours, if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Seuss's uh, Snitches on the Beaches, but, you know, this, this idea that if you have some distinctive that, that says you're one of the good people, and now you're invited to be in the good people, and Paul's saying, look, I was one of the good people, mm-hmm. and that made me an enemy of Christ and a persecutor of the church. Um, and and so it, this— Because I was what? Draw. Because I was enslaved to um, conformity and human authority. Right, yeah. And then, so it's at Galatians 1.10 where he says, if I were still seeking to please people— and then if you jump down to verse 13, he says, you've heard of my previous life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. And then he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age. And, um, you know, and if you look at Philippians 3, he says, look, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, according to the law, was blameless. I mean, he had this, this religious CV that anybody would have said, hey, here's a godly guy. Here's a good guy. He's one of the good people. And he's saying in that that veneer of religion masked the fact that I was really serving these unseen forces of authority and conformity. Cause he says, I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And, you know, so there's this kind of um, implicit authority of somebody that's gone on. And, and then he says, you know, I was advancing beyond many of my own age. And so there's this kind of pride and honor um, pursuit that he was in. This is conformity. And, and all this is under the guise of being a religious person. Um, so he just doesn't see that he's becoming the enemy of God. And you make a point that actually religion facilitates authority and conformity in a special way. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll get down to that, but that's true. Um, so, But on the surface, he was... Um, and he thought he was serving God as an individual, I think. If you were to ask Saul of Tarsus... You know what? What motivates you? And he mm-hmm. would say, "Well, you know, it's the it's the glory of of Yahweh or the Lord." You know, and uh, and yet, as he reflects and he says, "How did I get here?" You know, um, I can imagine him. You know, we, we're told in Acts nine that he prayed and fasted for three days. So here he is. He's blind. He's praying. He's fasting. I mean, this guy's had a massive paradigm shift, and he's discovered that he's been on the wrong side. I mean, I just can't. I can't even imagine. Um, just how jarring that must have been, how, how it must have affected him. And as he's asking, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems that Galatians 1 is his answer. Is this, I got here because I, I was trying to serve people under the guise of trying to serve God. And, um, and even those well-intentioned people, even people who are ostensibly the good people, can't be trusted uh, that corruption gets in there and it begins to destroy our souls from the inside. And so the only safe course of action, it seems, that Paul concluded was the only safe course of action is to be completely free of human influence um, as much as possible. That he needed saving even as one of the good people. He was in dire need of being saved um, from these external influences and okay and that and that's and that's alluding uh, to his opening remarks where he says um, something to the effect of Christ died for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age right yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, these these elementary principles of the world uh, are things that are there to control individuals in favor of society. Okay, they're neither good nor bad, but it's a fallen world. And so they're always going to be made to serve the bad, you know, inevitably going to be made to serve the bad. And it doesn't matter how you structure society if you build in checks and balances. And that's what Milgram discovered, because if if our moral center is outside of us, then we are capable of anything as individuals. Okay, Uh, so, you know, and that's what Paul discovered that, you know, he had he had kind of externalized his his morality. He had abdicated it to the traditions that he had received and to a lifestyle, to a community. Um, And and so he had abdicated any sort of personal choice or moral consideration in favor of these external things. And what he discovered was, is that made him capable of anything. And so back to, you were saying Stanley Milgram, and he discovered that people, when faced with you know, demands from an authority that go against their own personal sense of right and wrong. Um, They don't choose their own moral center. They go through what Milgram called the agentic shift so that they become the instrument of the authority. They just quit asking what's right and wrong and they start asking, how well can I serve this person's requirements? Hmm. And so... Um, you want to read? Want, should we do the Stanley yeah. Milgram quote? Yeah, give us one. This is Stanley Milgram. Milgram. The most far-reaching consequence of the agentic shift is that a man feels responsible to the authority directing him, but feels no responsibility for the content of the actions that the authority prescribes. Morality does not disappear, but acquires a radically different focus. The subordinate person feels shame or pride depending on how adequately he has performed the actions called for by the authority. Right. And so as, as we've mentioned, you know, Milgram's work is uh, really in response to the Holocaust of the Jews in uh, Nazi Germany. And he's doing these studies in the early 60s. Um, and, and so he's asking, how did, how did people come to do this? And then he's talking about the Nuremberg trials and these people who were instrumental in the extermination of millions of Jews, how they're just disaffected. There's no regret. There's no remorse. It's just calculated answering of questions. And we think, is this person particularly morally defective? And, and what uh, Milgram established was, is, no, these people are just normal. They're just normal people. Um, His experiments proved that. Right. He, he called in normal people in the United States off the street into the lab, and they performed in the same manner. Right, right. And so being enslaved to the elementary principles of the world means that we're capable of doing anything. This is why we need to be safe from them. Um, it, it may feel that our life is comfortable and everything is rosy and all that, but it's just because maybe you think you're under some very moral laws which you're not if you really get familiar with the justice system or maybe you think that everybody around you is is a decent good person maybe they are or maybe they're just um well-fed and in a state of safety um but all that to say that uh, we we kind of live under this illusion that we're generally good people but what i think milgram demonstrated is that all of us are just a hair's breadth from participating in a genocide. And that's why we need to live free right now, because everybody is making micro moral compromises um, 
and maybe they just don't take note. Mm-hmm. And and in doing so, I think you know they we're all losing our souls uh, as we make these little concessions. Um, and it's important to to live free. I I kind of had something highlighted, but it, you know we have to be we have to be free to to become good. So if you're compelled to do good, it doesn't count. Right. Right. Uh, and when we do, so when we do good under external influence, it no longer counts for good as good. And the person who does good under external influence will just as easily do evil under the same master. So we have to be free from these external influences. Um, and just a quick, like, um, uh, interjection there. We're, we're so familiar with these external influence, mo- with the external influence model of morality. Um, it seems to be the only way. Mm-hmm. to get people to do good things. And, and uh, that's how we parent our kids, and that's how we um, lead people in church. We use external influence. Um, it, right. And we're, we're so, we can't imagine that there is another way. Right. And, and that's what we will kind of get to when we start talking about how we're saved and, and we will discover how critical faith is and how practical faith is because... Um, these, these elementary principles of the world are just the way things happen. That's how society works. So to go against them or to rise above them, I think maybe is a better uh, way to describe it. It, it sounds destructive and subversive um, that you can't, you know, we, we, we just can't just do away with, with these kinds of things or everything will go haywire. And, um, and that's a fear that people have. But I, the gospel doesn't just deprive us of uh, the elementary principles of the world. It supplants them and replaces them with something better. And so that's what we will talk about. Um, I think it, it bears reading you okay to read a little bit more uh, on the next milgram yeah yeah in his in the epilogue in his epilogue to the book milgram allows himself a philosophical analysis of his findings his words speak poignantly of the need for each person to be set free from the elementary principles of the world and here's milgram's conclusion he says men do become angry they do act hatefully and explode in a rage against others but not here something far more dangerous is revealed the capacity for man to abandon his humanity, indeed, the inevitability that he does so, as he merges his unique personality into the larger institutional structures. This is a fatal flaw nature has designed into us, and which, in the long run, gives our species only a modest chance of survival. What is the limit of such obedience? At many points, we attempted to establish a boundary. Cries from the victim were inserted. They were not good enough. The victim claimed heart trouble. Subject still shocked him on command. The victim pleaded to be let free, and his answers no longer registered on the signal box. Subjects continued to shock him. The results, as seen and felt in the laboratory, are to this, are to this author disturbing. They raise the possibility that human nature, or more specifically, the kind of character produced in American democratic society, cannot be counted on to insulate its citizens from brutality and inhumane treatment at the direction of malevolent authority. Boom, slash, yikes, right? It's a, it's a scary thought, and um, I've taken several uh, formerly religious people through kind of 
considering Milgram's experiments and watching that. Because I think when people abandon the faith, they resort to this notion, or maybe they do it because of this notion that people are good. Um, and Milgram's experiments, which were duplicated in 2009, I don't have the specific citation, but I'll put it on the site, um, on our faith recovery um, site. But uh, at any rate, and, and the same results, it's not like humankind has evolved out of this. We've evolved into it, if anything, um, into this need to walk lockstep with an authority. And uh, man, you know, you look at things like cults and other things. And you say, how does this? How does this person have such control and question control? Well, they've become masters. They're wielding these tools, and these tools are so powerful. But because they're they're fundamental, they're elementary, they're basic. That it's not like we have to quash every negative example of authority. It's not like a whack-a-mole or, or that we have to find a good group of people to um, conform to and, and avoid a bad beat group of people who might put that pressure on us. It's that we have to be free from these things as, as fundaments, you know, as, as foundational. So if you are free from human authority in general, then if the USA switches over to being a fascist regime, regime you aren't going to be changed. Um, you're not going, you know, you, it's like, well, I wasn't walking lockstep when it was a enlightened liberal democracy and I'm not, so I'm not going to be walking lockstep when it's a, you know, far right conservative, you know, fascist regime, it, it, whatever it may be, uh, same with, with conformity, you know, we, you can't conform to your church, <laughs> you know, if we conform to the people in our church, then we're just as, as liable to conform to the people, uh, out there in the world or your workplace or, or whatever. And when your context changes, your moral uh, configuration will change. But if, if you say, well, you know, hey, I love you, church member or, you know, whatever, but, and hey, it looks like everybody's voting this way, but I'm not, I don't feel that way. And I don't, I'm not under any sort of obligation to vote with you. So I'm going to vote otherwise. Or if this notion of, of individual responsibility becomes the assumed, just that church life, that the faith is predicated on this personal freedom, um, then everybody can be trusted to truly, you know, grow and develop and become what they're supposed to be. Um, but if they don't, then it becomes ugly. And, and so not only did uh, Paul, I think, become as Saul of Tarsus become a slave of the elementary principles and that's why he was able to do so many negative things but the fact that it had that religious veneer made it so much worse and so that's where we're getting you know mm. I mean really honestly Nazi Germany did all of it in the name of nationalism and you think about just the way that the human um, personal conscience and empathy and everything were suppressed just in the name of nationalism Imagine if it is in the name of some higher power. Right. Religious systems, this is our next point. Religious systems become the most powerful servants of the elementary principles. Yeah. And that's kind of terrifying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a person who can think of uh, the Crusades, you know, that's yeah. commonly cited. Right. Yeah. Well, ISIS. ISIS is a so, contemporary yeah. version, right? Well, you know, if you if you can remember back, uh, ISIS and in, in where they had complete control, you know that it it makes me think. Uh, you know, Paul talks about that before Christ returns, that there will be this man of lawlessness who appears, and and I think lawlessness speaks to a condition where there is no regard for the common good. 
there's just no checks and balances on what someone will do. Uh, and so, you know, destroying of cultural antiquities, um, just rape, uh, man, I mean, it's just destroying of the infrastructure. I mean, it's just, it was a regime that was cutting off the limb it was standing on. Um, there was just no awareness of mercy or kindness or good. It's just going through and, and murdering men, women, and children, even, even Muslims that weren't considered exactly kosher or halal, if you will, you know, I mean, it, it this this was and will be again probably a society that was falling in on itself in the name of of a god that there is a suppression of even the most basic decency so uh yeah there's just no limits christopher hitchens was uh in recent times, a prominent atheist critic of religion. Yeah. And you cited him here. It's a pretty yeah. powerful point he makes. This is Christopher Hitchens. Violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism and tribalism and bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive toward children. Organized religion ought to have a great deal on its conscience. Yep. <laughs> Let's give Hitchens his due, right? <laughs> Peace be upon him. Uh, yeah, uh, and and I think w- when we argue against those kind of uh, obvious um, observations, we just kind of discredit our own message. And and what's ironic is, is I think Paul would have been like, "Dude, you don't even know." <laughs> you know, uh, he he had seen it firsthand. Um, so, yeah, but and not only. Uh, Hitchens saw that as an indictment on religion, but I think Paul sees it as an indictment on the elementary principles of the world wearing a religious face. So whereas Hitchens would say, well, the solution is just for everybody to be an atheist. But, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, uh, we've not seen that work out so well. Right. We have atheist regimes that do the same thing to people. Right. But for religious people, I I would say your religion is no refuge from the elementary principles of the world. If anything, you've gotten into a smaller prison. The human inability to escape the corrupt society, even through our loftiest pursuits. Right. Yeah. So that's what we, that's what we would hope would happen is that we aspire to be pious and good and um, transcendent. Um, And what we find is that, it's just intensified our own, you know, negative um, side. And so all that to say, we need saving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Paul time and again makes the point that we can't save ourselves, not even through a religious system. So, yeah, that's it's kind of on, on a negative. But I, I would say that that not only, you know, Hitchens... I, th- I think says we need saving. I-, I think Hitchens would agree that society needed saving and, and probably saw himself as a, a savior. And as do many atheists um, that, you know, you can't just go from 
believing that there's some sort of grander purpose to saying, no, it's just molecules in motion and let's just be animals. Um, it, it's the human mind. It's like, you know, there's a psyche can't absorb that. So we switch kind of this, to this hero mentality and say, I'm, no, we're here to liberate people from the real corrosive danger, and that is religion. And historically, that has not solved humanity's problems. Um, and so that's, it's, it's kind of this, red herring or whatever, you know, you, you're not going to solve it by taking one particular cultural element out uh, because the tendencies still remain. And so, uh, you know, Enver Hoxha, who was the dictator of Albania, was, you know, he wanted us to have the world's first truly atheist state. But how do you how do you achieve that? You know, you really have to police people's thoughts. <laughs> you know, you have to to punish them for what they they think um and nobody wants to live under that kind of a regime um and so that becomes again the the problem just shifts to the authority of the government and then people are participating in torturing and imprisoning people who are just happen to think differently um so that's a problem milgram you know his book and his insights are are invaluable and yet he really offered no solutions because as we said in previous episodes he recognized authority is necessary to human life we have to have it he didn't have a message that offered rescue from the enslaving effects of human authority right cultural conformity yeah in his book obedience to authority he actually and again he's writing i guess he originally did the study in the 60s and this particular book was an update from the 70s and uh, he was reproducing an interview with a vietnam vet and this vet was talking about going into a village finding vietnamese citizens men women and children hiding rounding them up and just gunning them down, just slaughtering them mm-hmm. at the command of, of the, the sergeant that was over this, you know, so Bill, I think it was Bill Moyers, uh, no, it was Wallace. Um, anyway, he was interviewing this, this Vietnam vet and, and the vet was saying, you know, Hey, we found this old guy and, and he was hiding and, and, and Wallace was like, well, was this a soldier? And he's like, no. And he's like, was this an old man? And he's like, yeah. And, and it's just like, well, what did you do? And it's just like, well, we, you know, we pulled him out of his hiding spot. And the sergeant was like, well, we know what to do with, you know, with this gook, you know. And they just popped him, you know, shot him in the head. And then they went around and they found 50-something men, women, and children hiding and just put them all in this one little central area, you know. And uh, the sergeant was like, I guess you know what to do with these, you know, uh, with these gooks and uh He's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And, and he thought the sergeant meant just to watch them. <laughs> the sergeant comes back. And he's like, why are these people all still alive? You know? And, and he says, what you do with them is you, is you kill them. And um, the sergeant, I mean, and the, the soldier was like, well, you know. And there was a couple other soldiers who were hesitant. They're like, well, why? And then the sergeant just, you know, he starts killing a few of them. He says, all right, I expect all these people to be dead when I get back, you know, and stuff. And, he, and they, just, they just murdered them all, men, women, children, babies. Um, and so... Milgram just continuing to observe that, you know, it's not just these Nazis that are capable of such things. And uh, I think oftentimes we're sheltered from just what our government is capable of doing in other countries. Um, But our government, governments don't do anything. 
people do the things mm-hmm. at the behest of the government. And, um, and so, you know, if you think you don't need to be saved because there's, you don't believe in a hell, that's fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, the, book of, the book of Acts just doesn't, it doesn't mention hell. None of the sermons in the book of Acts mention hell. There's not a Do they mention burden. judgment? They do uh, a couple of times. But generally, yeah, generally it is over um, kind of rejecting this message, you know. Be careful that, it, you know, you don't fall into this kind of warning from Scripture, you know, that you you turned away. Um, so, yeah, there it does. But for the most part, it is this offer of uh, eternal life, of a life change, a participation in the kingdom of God that is new, a new regime in the world. Um, and and that seems to be a better approach. It seems to be more consistent with a, a broader view of salvation, that we are not in just inviting you to get your ticket punched as an individual and then go back to being under these influences. We are inviting you to come into a new society that operates on a new set of principles, not the old elementary principles of the world, but a new set of principles uh, uh, that are entirely different. And that that salvation is to be liberated, to become a new nation, if you will, um, pulled out of, of Egypt. And by Egypt, I mean this corrupt society. Mm-hmm. Right. So that salvation, at least from it, from that aspect of being liberated from our society. Next time we'll talk about salvation from the aspect of uh, more of a medical metaphor, <laughs> you know. So let, let's say this is a revolutionary metaphor. Mm-hmm. We're saved from a society that has us imprisoned in some ways, right? Uh, even if we're imprisoned behind the illusion of freedom, <laughs> you know. Um, but we also need to be set free from what's inside of us. There's something corroding us, that this corruption is in our society because it's in us. Mm-hmm. And that is that. So we need to be saved from the corrupt society. And by that, I mean, we need to be saved from society and we need to be saved from corruption. And corruption is this moral decay, um, this fracturing of our souls, our personalities that everyone goes through to some degree. And that's what we'll talk about next time. Good. Good. Okay. Well, uh, don't forget, you can email us if you'd like to uh, ask your questions, discuss more. We have an email address, discussion at faithrecoverypodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Ooh.